Today's quote comes from Dwight K. Schrute of Dunder Mifflin Paper Company. So what kind of farming are you into? You're more of a fruit man or a root man? Hey y'all, I'm Paul Sievers, interpreter with Great Parks of Hamilton County, and you are listening to Take It Outdoors, a podcast where you can enjoy the outdoors from the indoors. Dwight Schrute, as any good fan of The Office would know, was in fact a root man, beets to be specific, one of my least favorite vegetables. Have you ever asked yourself that question, fruit or root? If not, then today's episode is for you. And if you have, we still have some insights that you can glean as well. Gardening is no longer something you only do on a farm. It's now something you can do in your yard. Any yard, any size, there are plenty of options out there. To talk about some of those options and things to consider when deciding what is best for you, we are joined by Doug Stevenson, Highfield Discovery Garden Manager at Glenwood Gardens. Then we will take it outdoors into the garden with Tom Hughes, and we're going to put him to work. So Doug, thanks for joining us today on Take It Outdoors. Thanks, Paul. I'm happy to be here. I met with Doug last week, and we kind of we went through and we talked about everything that we would discuss, because to be quite honest, I don't know a lot about gardening. When Growing up, my dad always had a garden on the on you know it's a small plot on a much larger farm, and I would just go out and basically play in the barn while he did gardening. So I never really learned a lot. But as Doug and I went through this, kind of one thing that really stuck out to me was the idea of you have to plan ahead. I mean, that's kind of the key to make things successful. So just kind of as a caveat, as we go along here, um, just keep in mind the idea of planning ahead. Don't quite jump in until you begin to get your uh, ducks in a row. So Doug's that, you agree with that? Oh yeah, planning ahead is very important. All right, so we're going to talk kind of two different ways that you can do gardening in a, in a space in your backyard. Um, two very popular ways right now, in fact. One is container gardening, and another is raised bed gardening. So, Doug, can you kind of give us just a brief, you know, if nobody's really heard of these, and they say, well, what's the difference? What would be your answer? Uh, sure. So I'm just going to use the example of what we have in the Highfield Discovery Garden. For our raised beds, we have a vegetable garden, and we have to, as you said, plan ahead as to what crops we need to plant so that we always have something interesting going on in the garden. If you're at home, you could just plant one rotation of crops, um, but at the Highfield Discovery Garden, we have to keep interest going all year long, so that planning ahead is essential. We always have to have interest in the garden throughout the year from spring through fall, so it's a little different for us. To do that, we plant something about once every two weeks, and then we're looking at what is a cool season plant, Uh, What can we plant early that can tolerate the cold? And then the usual array of summer vegetables. And then again, we have to think what kind of cooler season crops can we plant to get us through the fall to have something engaging for guests all throughout the year. Another big difference is what you use as your soil or substrate. And um, funny enough, with both raised beds and containers, we use something that we call a soil-less mix. A soil-less mix means you don't want to use soil straight from the ground. Ohio soil is full of clay, and clay is not conducive to growing crops. Somebody once told me uh, when talking about clay, I mean, if you're from this area, if you're from Hamilton County, you know that it's clay. You might have a little bit of topsoil, 
and then you hit clay very quickly. So he likened clay to a steak, that a steak might be filled with nutrients, but getting those nutrients out of the clay is like trying to eat that steak through a straw. And so when he would talk about planting, he would always say, you got to break it up. Just can't use the clay. You got to break it up. Got to break it up. So um, that's a good thing to know because I think a lot of people would just, until I learned that, just like, oh, we'll just break up the clay and put it back in there. And obviously that's not going to work. So in our raised beds, uh, we do a mixture of mushroom compost and peat moss. But even then, you have to think about the kind of plants that you're growing and what they like in the soil. And then for your container gardening, we also use a soil-less mix, but it's more of a potting soil. Um, we use one that has mycorrhizae, which is a uh, fungus that has a symbiotic relationship with plants. And then um, for our containers, you are thinking about what kind of plants you're growing in those. Um, are you going to add uh, vermiculite or perlite? And that's going to depend on if your plants like well-drained soil or if, if they like that soil to stay moist. Perlite is those little beads of styrofoam looking things that you see in a lot of potting soil. They improve aeration and help keep your pots or beds well-drained. And then vermiculite is going to help um, retain moisture. still helps with well-draining, but it's a little more spongy and it's going to help with those plants that like it a little more wet. But just to be clear, it's not actually styrofoam, correct? It is not. You talked about things that might like it um, you know, moist, some things that might like it a little bit more drained. Can you kind of give a brief example of what, like what are some of the d different plants that might like well-drained versus moist? Sure. Um, well, let's look at uh, container gardening and herbs, culinary herbs as an example. So if you think about a good portion of your culinary herbs and where they come from, a lot of them are Mediterranean in origin. So where they come from, they have sandy, well-drained soils. Uh, they're exposed to a lot of sunlight. So you want to mimic their native habitat in your small container. So some of the Mediterranean culinary herbs that are coming to mind are things like lavender, rosemary, sage, things like that. So you would want to have a good soil-less potting mix and have perlite mixed in there. And that's going to allow it to drain a little better. It's not that you don't want to water your plants or you want them to be dry. It's just that they like the soil well-drained. So you still want to give them a good drink and then the water will, will drain through. Um, they don't like to be sitting in moisture. But then on the contrary, you have other culinary herbs like dill and parsley, and they like it moist. They still like well-drained soil, but they like it to be moist the majority of the time. So you're going to add more vermiculite in that case to help keep the soil moist. I just keep singing Simon and Garfunkel now. Parsley, sage, rosemary, and thyme. Okay. You heard the joke about that? The kid asked his mom, did parsley save rosemary and thyme? Wow, Doug just gave me this complete <laughs> blank stare. It's not my joke. I'm just repeating it, all right? I had to think about it for a second. <laughs> and our subscription went down to zero. So you have, yeah, you know, your raised bed, you have containers, so you need to think about, 
you talked about different, what, what kind of plants do you want to put in there? What kind of soil is going to need? What's necessary? Where did they come from? So mimic that type of soil. I think that's a great piece of advice right there. What I want to talk about next is, I think a lot of people would just think, okay, I don't have the space. I don't have the time. And I know at Glenwood Gardens and the, in the Highfield Discovery Garden, you talk about gardening to your space and gardening to your time. Can you talk a little bit more about that? I mean, is there really somebody who would be like, oh yeah, you just, sorry, you, you're out of luck. You can't garden. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. That's how I start any of our programs or when I teach container gardening classes, the very first thing that I talk to folks about is gardening to your space and gardening to your time. Because as you mentioned earlier, you know, we had the luxury of growing up with a large enough yard to grow vegetables, have a vegetable garden, but not everybody has that. Not everybody has a yard for that matter. So you really do have to look at your space. Uh, If you don't have a yard to have a vegetable garden, what do you have? Some folks live in an apartment, so you may only be able to have a window box, Um, but that's still a great way to garden in your home. And you have to think about the amount of time that you have. Some folks today are very busy. You may only have a couple free minutes every day. But again, that window box, if you have a small selection of culinary herbs there and you're cooking dinner, let's say, you can walk over, get a pinch of what you need, and they need very little care. Really, if you've just got a minute or two a day to give them a nice drink of water when they need it or perhaps pinch them back when they need it, Um, that's going to be a great way to garden to your space and garden to your time for someone who doesn't have a lot of space or time. Another great way that you can garden in a small space is you can put containers outside your back door or front porch, um, you know, wherever you're going to be having some sun. Again, you're looking at your plants need if they need, you know, partial sun or um, mostly sun, you would want to just put them outside in an area that they would be able to get that light that they need. But again, that's a great way to garden without a yard. And some folks live in the city. Rooftop gardening is becoming very popular. Question then, you know, say you have a small backyard. I mean, if you say, hey, if you have more space, do raised bed. If you have less space, do container. Or is it all just going to depend on, well, how big do you want your containers or your raised beds to be? Like if, if somebody gave you, here's my dimensions, is, does one work better than the other given different spaces? You really have to think about the the size of the plants that you're growing, and that is going to help you determine raised beds or containers, and it's also going to help you determine the size of your container if you are going the route of containers. And again, this goes back to planning ahead. If you are doing a raised bed vegetable garden, you will need to think about the life cycle of the plants that you're growing and how long do they live and how big do they get. One practice that we use in our raised beds at Highfield Discovery Garden is square foot gardening. And we measure out every 12 inches at Highfield, we make a grid with string or twine. And then you have to think about the size of that plant. So a larger plant like broccoli, you're probably only gonna get about two in a square foot. If you're planting radishes, you can get 16 per square foot. So again, you want to be planning ahead, thinking about the size of your plant and the life cycle of your plant. Before we take it outdoors and head out into the garden and 
put Tom to work. I'm just FYI, when we head out to the Discovery Garden, I'm bringing iced tea and a lawn chair, and you can just have Tom do all the work. Don't tell him I said that. But um, but before we do that, before we, we take it outdoors, can you just kind of give a quick recap just of the things that people need to keep in mind before they head out and start gardening? So yeah, Paul, I think we covered a lot of good things about the basics, but even before you start planning ahead, I think the first thing to think about is gardening to your space and gardening to the amount of time that you have. Then that's going to help you plan for what you want to grow. Are you going to grow vegetables? Are you going to grow herbs? Or maybe just you want a beautiful container filled with annuals? And then you can start thinking about your container or a raised bed if you have room for that, the aesthetics of it, what you want it to look like. And uh, one word of advice I would give is you mentioned earlier that you tried to grow some things in the past and didn't have much luck. So um, I would just encourage you to keep trying. Uh, I as well spent a good majority of my life just wondering what I was doing wrong. Uh, I, I don't naturally have a green thumb. So over my years of working in the garden and experience, I you know have learned these tricks about the soil and plants needs and how much sun they need and things like that. So um, just keep trying, and the more you learn, the more you'll grow. And on that note, (laughs) I think it's time to uh, take it outdoors. So we're at Glenwood Gardens, and we're in a part of Glenwood Gardens that's called the Highfield Discovery Garden. And we're joined once again by Doug. He's the garden manager, as we mentioned here at, at Highfield. And we're going to continue to talk about gardening. Uh, before we do that, though, Doug, do you want to give just a little bit of background on the Discovery Garden here and what kind of makes it a unique part of Great Parks? Sure. The Highfield Discovery Garden was opened in 2004, so we've been in operation for 15 years now. Um, it is a very unique space, uh, really whimsical, sometimes referred to as a children's garden, but we say it's for people of all ages. It is a 12-acre garden with seven themed gardens within it. And really, our goal here is to provide a safe and fun place for people of all ages to learn about nature and gardening. We have a family pass, so folks can come year-long and enjoy the garden. We have special perks for our members, and we have a rental room, and we have uh, birthday parties available. We also welcome school groups. We do all kinds of programs and classes throughout the year. So we're we're waiting on Tom. Tom's running late. Good afternoon. Oh, look who it is. Just as I said, Tom's late. Look who shows up. (laughs) That was weird. He like summoned you. Yeah, (laughs) that seems to be the case. Just a little magic spell and there I am. I like yeah. the, the beard. It's very full. Yeah, yeah. I'm rocking the Tormund look, right? Uh, <laughs> um, the what look? Tormund. He's a uh, character in Game of Thrones. He's, oh. he's got the big big hairy red beard. Game of Thrones. Uh, Game of Thrones. Game yeah. of Thrones. Yeah, that's, that's, that's my life right now is Game of Thrones <laughs> and Avengers. So, Tom, I think what uh, you're going to do today is there's a, a pile of uh, manure Okay. In the back. And I think Cow or a horse? <laughs> um, is, is one better than the other? <laughs> I think I'd prefer horse. I don't know. No, maybe cow. I don't know. We're messing with you. It depends on what yeah. they ate, I guess. <laughs> so we're you know, sitting here on this, I don't know, is this a dragonfly? 
A bench made of dragonflies. I don't think it's made out of literal dragonflies. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Not real dragonflies. That would be a little harsh to our green daughters <laughs> and such, don't you think? Uh, and we're, we're kind of like on this boardwalk. There's a, a, a pond underneath it. I can see goldfish. Um, but I know there's also bullfrogs and tadpoles in there. I see a snapping turtle over there. Seriously? Like, yeah, it's like it's almost the size of a trash can. No, I'm joking. Oh, there, I'm there is actually snapping turtles here, uh, <laughs> both in this pond and the lower pond. So there you go. So snapping turtles, other turtles, um, some two human-sized frogs. Mr. Also. Toad and Mr. Frog, right? Yeah. Yes. Um, this is the frog and toad pond. And so you know, then beyond that, there is a giant tree house that you know you can play in there's a train and it's just it's a neat it's a unique place so and obviously being a garden they do a lot of gardening here so we're going to kind of continue this discussion that we already started in the studio with doug um i was kind of hoping to get our hands dirty today but it's it's been it's been raining here for several days um it, it's wet <laughs> right. <laughs> it's, it's just it's, it's wet. wet. But it also shows what it what it kind of takes to do to to be a garden. It's not just like oh yeah, just jump in. You know, we talked about you got re you really got to plan ahead. Um, and so we're here at a time where it's like you know we're kind of in a holding pattern until we can kind of take that next step and do some more. So to be honest, I mean I, honestly, I came in here. I have no idea what we're doing, but. I got a little bit of land, and I have. I am not a green thumber. I'm a. I'm a. I'm a. I'm a novice when it comes to gardening, but I've decided to try and turn my garden into almost like a little native wildflower thing going on. And uh, I was at Kroger, and they actually had wild blue flocks, uh, so I thought that was pretty neat. And then I also, obviously, I have milkweed, and then I have um, black-eyed susans and things. So I was kind of hoping to have like. A, You'll see the spring flowers and then you'll see the summer and fall flowers like in the same area. I don't know how that's going to work. I need to figure that out. But, I'm trying to figure uh, that in my own house right now too. That's like, I got uh, the spring like violets and dandelions working for me, but beyond <laughs> that. Well, that is exactly that same sort of principle of like having something blooming in the spring and summer and fall is exactly what we do here in the Highfield Discovery Garden and planning that out to say, oh, okay you know, this time of year, this is going to be blooming so that you can have that interest all year long. That's exactly what we do here. So you're, you're on the right track. Just being in our forest, like for the amount of time I've had, it's just, it kind of comes like having our native wildflowers as a garden and figuring out the, you know, the, the seasonality of it is really neat. There we go. Well, the bullfrogs in the background. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because in our profession, natives are a huge topic. And, you know, coming from a naturalist background and working in land management for many years, I also, too, understand and, and love, uh, you know, promoting our native wildflowers. But I think there's a misconception about gardening and landscaping and cultivar plants, uh, non-native plants that are planted in gardens. I think from a natural resources perspective, they kind of get a bad rap because they're not native. And I would say that this is a perfect example of an environment where we, just like in nature, you know, we say we want species diversity. And I believe that gardens are a great opportunity to showcase plant diversity and to show that it's okay to have non-native plants 
or um, cultivars of plants as long as you have them in a controlled environment. They and can live in balance. They can live in balance. We've got With either the snap of a finger. All of our beds are contained. You know, nothing here is going to escape or become invasive. And we are very aware of those species that are considered um, invasive. And we, you know, don't plant or promote those kind of plants. So, um, you know, hopefully we can change some minds that uh, the landscape and horticulture field, uh, there's a lot of people who are very much plant uh, conservationists in their um, studies and working with plants. All right, we're gonna do some gardening now then? Yeah. But All yeah, right, this... so what are we doing today? I'm coming in, coming in like a, like a, like a zebra on the plains. <laughs> what does that mean? I don't know. <laughs> I'm coming in fresh. So we've moved over a little bit more to where they actually grow the vegetables here at Highfield. And so it's a series of raised beds and we're talking, you know, maybe a foot high to three or four feet high, depending. And they're about four by four. Right now, I mean, there's not a lot growing, but it's still early in the season, I assume. So tell me like with this box we're standing in here, I mean, it's just soil with the net over it. So what's what's happening in this box right now? Well, that's a great question. And uh, it, it definitely just looks like kind of soil with the net over it. But there was a lot of prep that went into this bed and all of the beds here earlier in the season. So um, around the end of March, early April, when you're when you're gearing up and you're getting ready to prepare your raised beds, we had a team of volunteers and staff members uh, amending the soil. So um, we removed about four inches all the way across of the existing soil from last year. And then we brought in a mixture of mushroom compost and peat moss to give that balance. The mushroom compost is neutral to alkaline in uh, its pH levels. Does it have mushrooms visible in it? Do you see mushrooms in it? It does not. It's funny that it's called mushroom compost. It was used to grow mushrooms and the mushrooms are already done uh, using it. So the mushrooms are, it is previously used by mushrooms compost. And when the mushroom growers are done with it, they give it to gardeners. Yes. I see. Yes. And just to be clear, when you talk about neutral to alkaline, you're talking like pH level seven and above. That is correct. Okay. And so your lower pH levels are gonna be more acidic and that's why we add the peat moss because the peat moss is going to be more acidic. So if you're adding 50-50 equal amounts of both mushroom compost and peat moss, then that's going to balance out your pH level in the soil. Both of those are pretty easy to find. Oh yes, yep. Just go to a fen, <laughs> get your peat moss. Tell where you're from. We might have you might have fens. <laughs> I'm not not sure if we have any fens around. So that just gives you a real basic idea that if you have plants that, uh, you know, you you had your soil tested, you get your pH level. If you need that soil to be more alkaline, then you know what kind of amendments that you need to add to make it more alkaline. If you need it more acidic, you're going to add more peat moss. And there's some other things we'll talk about that so, make it more acidic. So those little things on the back of your seed packets and they say, oh, this this would like this kind of acidity for soil. You actually have to listen to that and you just don't ignore it and hope for the best. It is very important. And I think the blueberries are a key indicator of that. So 
right over here we've got our uh, blueberry bushes. Are those the ones with the white flowers on them? They are the ones. They are currently in bloom. And blueberries, they like acidic soil. So you can't, like you said earlier, you can't just plop them in the ground and expect them to grow well. They need it more acidic. So, so. I see that there's more bits and bobs in that plant bed, so that probably has more peat moss in it Absolutely. than that one. Not only does it have significantly more peat moss, uh, almost mostly peat moss, and we also add a few handfuls of sulfur to make Ooh, it even... Ooh, sulfur. I like sulfur. Even more. It's, it's got that good rotten egg smell to it. Tom, I've heard you, you've tried to grow blueberries, right? Yeah. I, you know, I went to a big box store and my kid really loves blueberries. He's always eating frozen blueberries. He just loves blueberries. So I thought, you know what? How about I just grab one of these blueberry uh, bushes? At the time, it was just, it's a, it's kind of a very small blueberry, uh, but it's not really a bush. It's more of a twig than anything. And all I did was I dug a hole and I threw it in there and now it's on its side and it looks very sad. So that's probably, I should have got some, I should have looked at the pH level and I should have uh, did a little bit of research before I decided to grow my blueberry. To be honest, I think it's not completely my fault because I think I picked a lesser blueberry bush, right? Like, like I'm pretty sure I didn't pick the cream of the crop. So I think it's, I'm gonna blame the bush a little bit, which I think is perfectly fine to do in gardening, right? Sometimes even if it is your fault, it's fun to blame the stuff that's growing. Um, but yeah, so, so you know, um, maybe next time I'll grab some of that peat moss and and, and try and uh, be a little bit more scientific with my growing uh, abilities. But I uh, think that is a great example of gardening. Like you're not going to have successes all the time, and that maybe that first time was your failure, but you also learned a lot in that process, and you now know. Oh, going forward, if I do plant blueberries again. I know to amend the soil, and I think that's what gardening's all about. You don't have to come into it being an expert, and there's going to be trial and error, and you should expect some trial and error, um, especially folks who don't have a natural green thumb. Growing up, we had a patch of raspberries and every summer. Oh man, we'd have so many raspberries and just. Oh. Yeah, over in Britain, we we used to travel about. I when I was a kid, I had my pocket knife. I had my explorer hat and I go with my cousin I thought we were traveling miles and miles to the blackberry patch it was probably like down the street I don't know oh my and we just collect blackberries by the dozen and it was so much fun I um, absolutely have similar memories my grandpa he was always out hiking and he knew all the best places to get blackberries and I just remember how special that was as a kid not only to go hiking with him and find those blackberry patches but then bringing them home and cleaning them and eating blackberries or my grandma making a blackberry pie. Uh, I honestly still love to eat blackberries to this day because of those and fond memories. And they grow well in Ohio? Oh, they do. Yeah. Yeah. Neat. So that's, I mean, that's the thing that's cool about gardening is, you know, all three of us now are just spontaneously, well, we all have these memories of kind of foraging and what that meant. And so, I mean, this is, this is a great opportunity for people, you know, if you have kids or even if you don't have kids, if you're just doing it for yourself, like, just going out and picking your own food, not going to a sterile grocery store, but actually going out into nature, whether it's you know, a couple miles into the woods or just into your backyard, you're still going outside collecting a food that's gonna be good. You know, I mean like there's there's really nothing you're gonna grow in your backyard that's edible that's gonna be like unhealthy for you either. 
I mean, just again, edible is the key word. Pumpkins, There's plenty of maybe. things that could be very unhealthy, well. but if it's edible, it's going to be <laughs> good for you, you know? Absolutely. Pumpkins are unhealthy. Well, the ones that you carve, right? They're not made to be eaten. Well, but I'm, well, but that goes back to yeah. being edible. Like yeah. if it's say a squash. I mean, though, and if you eat pumpkin pie, very... pumpkin pie is well, not very healthy. <laughs> so that's my favorite kind of pumpkin. <laughs> I, I think uh, you're right, Paul. And herbs, especially the culinary herbs, I love growing those at home. I have uh, containers that I'll put out on my back porch, but then I also have a. Uh, kind of a herb garden fairy garden that's a little bit further out in the backyard and there is nothing more gratifying than you're cooking a meal and you need to go out and get some fresh sprigs of rosemary or some dill to flavor one of your dishes and it's right there out your back door or in your backyard all right Doug, i got a question for you with herbs um the little pot i'd like to I'd, I'd like to point this out herbs or herbs it's got a h in it it's herbs <laughs> Then again, right, continue on. I was about I was about to say maybe with success of growing herbs, maybe these guys get the win on that one because people buy me these little herb inside herb things that you buy and you're supposed to just stick them next to your window and the herbs will grow and I forget to water them for like a day and then they're like done. Well, that's the thing. Think about your culinary herbs and where they're from. They're mostly Mediterranean in origin, so they have they're exposed to a lot of sun, they have sandy, well-drained soils, and so you have to emulate that at home in your containers or in so your So those little space. potty things that you can buy that says, grow your own herb garden and it's got generic soil in it, maybe you should look in and make sure it's the right And the other stuff. thing is, is like I got one for my wife for her birthday, and, and hers has grown while. great no, and it's no, completely no. Like, fine because you don't know not know what you're doing Tom. no it's dead it's gone and i <laughs> oh, feel like okay. a lot of those one like they're in these you know cutesy little pails well there's no drainage in that right. and the other thing is i feel like for those those herb gardens you buy to me they're not a bad thing to get them started but once they're kind of going shift them into something that's going to emulate like you just said right and also, Tom, it could be that they just need a drink of water. Maybe that, <laughs> no, the, maybe that, maybe that soil or that container that they came in, it does have well-drained soil. But as a result mm. of that, even if you've just got one minute a day, give your herbs a nice drink, and then let it drain out and let so it kind of get dry. You need to be. You, if you've got it in your house and you got it in your little thing. You need to be attentive to it. You do, you, and you don't yeah. need a bunch of time. Really, just a few seconds to. What a about when they're outside? Can you be a little bit more standoffish on that? Or? Uh, you can, but similar. You don't. You don't want to keep them sitting in water. They don't like constantly wet, moist soil. But they do like a good drink, and they do like well-drained soil. But as a result, that means you are going to have to water them more often. You keep an eye on them and water them as needed. Mm. All right. When do I get to try stuff? Let's see, I see lettuce, all right. We do, we, um, since it's still kind of early in the season, we're, we have our cold season crops growing, so we're gonna have lettuce and uh, spinach, radishes. I wanna try some fresh grown spinach. Well, you certainly can. Yeah, let's go try some. All right, so I think um, Tom here is, is hungry. 
<laughs> and he's been asking all day to eat something here. Well, I don't have lunch today, so. Well, as we discussed, it, it is still a little early in the season. So we do have some onions. We do have some radishes. Um, we have some cold season crops here. We've got some stir fry mix, some Siamese dragon stir fry mix. Our Chinese cabbage isn't quite ready yet. So are the radishes ready to eat? Well, you know, a, a great way that you can check, and this is what we always tell the kids when it's time to harvest, if you're wondering if those radishes are big enough, you just take your finger and move away that dirt right at the base of the leaves where the radish would be. And that way you can see the top of the radish, how big it is, and that's going to let you know if you can pull it out. Great test with carrots as well. And I'll tell you here in the Highfield Discovery Garden, the kids enjoyed nothing more about the vegetable garden than pulling carrots. Once you teach the kids how to look for which carrots are ready to harvest, sometimes we will actually have a line of kids waiting nice. to pull their carrot. And that's such a great feeling when you actually get to see kids getting their hands dirty and pulling those carrots out of the dirt and then hopefully being inspired to go home and, and grow their own carrots at home. It's pretty cool. Yeah, it's one of the, my, my daughter, I'm not gonna, she is not of a loss for energy. She is uh, constantly running around crazy and, oh my goodness, I'm gonna do this, 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 this. But the last year when we were doing it, she hung out and she just gardened with me for like two hours and she was upset that she had to go back into the house. So it is a really good thing to do. Well, uh, well those are the memories that are going to last with her forever and impact her like it did so many of us. We remember gardening with our parents and we remember, you know, foraging like we talked about earlier. And I think that's what we try to do here at the Highfield Discovery Garden is that not every child has that opportunity. Maybe their parents didn't grow up with those opportunities. So if we can provide those memories for them and inspire them to go home and be our future generation of gardeners and caretakers of the land, then then we're uh, achieving our goals here. All right, let's dig in. I want to try something. What are, we, what are we? What are we doing first, Doug? It's all you're the you're the master gardener here. So let's see. What have we got? Well, why don't you give that Siamese dragon stir fry right. mix a try? All right. Which so the Siamese is a this one right here? It is all, all of these plants all of this. in this area. Oh, okay. Let's see. I'll grab uh, this one. Looks like a dandelion leaf, to be honest. So I'll give that one a go. Um, it's good. It's a, it's a little bit bitter, and it has a, um, it's it's a little thorny. But other than that, it's pretty good. <laughs> thorny? Mm-hmm. It's a little spiky. It's good though. What's you, up? You might have got the wrong plant there. Did I? <laughs> what did I eat? <laughs> I don't know. It's. Let's just let's wait and see what happens, Tom. <laughs> I, I was like, this is very bitter. This one's this one's much better. Try this. Yeah, one. Not... What what did he eat? This one is not quite as bitter. This is Tom's last podcast. <laughs> so we've talked a lot about the practical side of gardening today. Growing vegetables and fruits and herbs and using containers and raised beds. But there is another side of gardening and one that we love to showcase here at the Highfield Discovery Garden is aesthetics. Gardening for uh, beauty and the pleasure of uh, enjoying plants and their diversity and, uh, and all the beautiful colors that they have to offer. I like the one behind you. 
that that is actually a really nice container and I wanted to tell you about how we plan these containers. A good concept to go by is thrillers, fillers, and spillers. So what What that, would you be Paul? <laughs> just I was thinking what would Tom be? I I think I'd be a spiller. Yeah. I make would, a lot of messes. So just to give you a few examples of what a thriller, filler, and spiller might be and how we plan our containers each year is that your thriller is going to be your focal point. That's going to be your tallest plant or plants mm. that rise above all the rest. So it's the thriller. It's, it's spectacular. So in this pot in front of us, it's this Japanese maple. And then your fillers... It's got a big, deep, purpley, reddish color. It does. Very vibrant. So then your fillers are going to be exactly that. They're going to kind of fill that main area in the bottom of the container. So, you know, that might be plants like geraniums or coleus or begonias. Uh, herbs can be a great filler. Something that fills the container. Um, so where's the spell off? It's a little too early in the season to have our true thrillers, fillers, and spillers. Um, probably here after the Mother's Day rule around the around the first couple weeks of May. We're going to be planting annuals in all of our containers and we've planned So this is going to look a little different in a month or so. Absolutely, absolutely. And we've planned all of these pots in advance, not only with thrillers, fillers, and spillers, but also color schemes. You want to have colors of plants that complement each other. Spillers, they literally spill over the side of the container. So um, some things that we may have as spillers are sweet potato vines. Uh, vinca vines, ivies, um, lantana. Uh, there's a lot of great things that can be used as a spiller. Folks, that is our show for today. Are you ready to get planting and getting dirty? Do you know if you're a fruit person or a root person? If not, that's okay. You can be both. Just plant what you love. You can let us know what you have in your garden by posting it on social media with the hashtag GreatParks. For more information on Glenwood Gardens, upcoming programs there, and all our other programs and events, head over to greatparks.org. Doug, thanks for being here today. Oh, thanks so much for having me. And thanks for hosting us at Glenwood Gardens as well. And of course, thank you listeners for joining us today on Take It Outdoors, a podcast where you can enjoy the outdoors from the indoors. Check back next month for our next episode. And until then, I'm Paul Sievers. Get outside, enjoy nature.